you'd think that in such a small space, I'd get my setup down to like this perfect situation. But every time I'm like, how do I do this again? I feel like all the software, right? It needs to say you're using the wrong mic. Like the, the, the mic that you're using needs to be on like a big <laughs> flipping bar so that I don't accidentally use the mic that's in my closed laptop underneath my screen. So we were going to talk about, tell me. Community. Community. Right. Yes. Quite interesting. Like you can attack that from all sorts of angles, right? Yes. I mean, what is community? What even is friends? <laughs> well, it is actually interesting because community maybe means something different now in the pandemic. Yeah, it means it's very far away. <laughs> yeah, community. <laughs> Hopefully it's not non-existent, but I feel like the definition of community has changed, especially like work communities, personal friend, family, group communities, mm. but also like, I feel like tech communities have swung more in the social media direction. There's fewer in-person things going on, I feel like. So everybody's online all the time. I think it's made us a lot weirder. I think that the tiny boxes on a screen version of ourselves is a lot weirder than we think it is in our own heads. Mm-hmm. I've definitely seen it in meetings. So the ultimate example is like some kind of all-hands meeting where you have like a big meeting with loads of people. And in order for those things to work at all, everyone has to go on mute. And so if you're the person talking, all you're faced with is a bunch of people staring into the middle distance, sometimes badly lit, sometimes not looking directly at you because their webcam is off center. Mm. Or just off. Or just off. Yeah. And it just feels awful, which is why I have never, well, I did an online conference that first year of pandemic, but I didn't do it live. Yeah. I'm not sure I could deal with the incongruence of giving, trying to give out a lot and getting absolutely nothing in return. That's so hard. The virtual conference thing, I think I did, I did like two, I think, and then one that was virtual, but live. But like afterwards, people turned their cameras on and had Q&A and I was like, oh, it's like we're in a Zoom room. Yeah. But it wasn't the same. Yeah, I'm a primate. I need to see other primate faces as much as I like to hide in my house and remote working is ace and all of those good things. You just need to see people, I think. Even if you don't think you do, I think you do. (laughs) So, I mean, I mean, I was chatting to Josh, who you work with at Dev, and he was saying that like he was already doing the remote and in quite a remote place thing. And so we chatted for actually for Brian Ruby in 2020. And he was just like, yeah, like I had not realized how much I was depending on my three days of RailsConf, six months, three days of RubyConf, six months for seeing his people. And that's definitely a thing, right? Like that's one of the reasons I stick in the Ruby community. I like programming in Ruby. It's great. But for me, there is definitely something that I haven't found in other programming communities, at least. Obviously there are still assholes because there are assholes everywhere because there are human beings everywhere. I feel like the Ruby community is pretty good for trying to excise that behavior. Yeah. And yeah, I've definitely missed going to conferences and having people come to mine and yeah, it's just, it's been tough. Yeah. And I miss the community of my work colleagues as well. Like one of the things that we like to do is go for lunch. We are remote friendly, but we're all based fairly locally, Mm -hmm. you know, within like 
a half hour's drive either way down the south coast of the UK. So like we're all able to get in once a fortnight, provided that nobody has COVID, which of course a couple of people do right now. But you know, that's fine. So you could theoretically get together. We do. So we have a standing two-week meeting where, and it's complete, at the moment, it's completely optional to come in. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you've got COVID, it's the opposite of optional. Yeah, we have like a, an all hands once every fortnight, and then we go out for lunch, which feels like a healthy cadence, probably most suited to me and Gary and our temperaments of how often we'd like to see people. But yeah, I've, I've, even our most introverted team members are just like, yeah, I need to come into the office more and see people. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing where I have joined teams without meeting anybody. Mm. And then when I had the opportunity for in-person interaction, I felt like I had more of a community than before when I was just like, oh, I work at X company and I show up and I do the thing and then I leave. And then the moment I met people in person and like had conversations about non-work things or just like joked around or like just got a meal together. I guess this is going to sound weird, but I started to see them as humans, not just like my coworkers. The tiny box people. (laughs) (laughs) Like nothing changed, but I was just like, oh, like I know what you're like in person. I know how tall you are and I know what your mannerisms are. And somehow that's more grounding. And it's interesting. Yeah, we had this at one of my previous, when I was at House Trip, like I was one of the only remote people and they had like a mostly office culture, but they were hiring remotely. This is six, seven years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. But one thing they did was we all went in and your first three weeks, you went in and worked and they, you know, it was, it was like an Airbnb, European Airbnb thing. So like accommodation was kind of the point. So we'd get ourselves a house trip and stay there for, for three weeks just to like, it's giving yourself the tone that you have in person so that when you read it, it's not misconstrued. Like I'm fairly flippant and you don't have to meet me for very long to work out that that's the case. But some people don't write how they speak and some people aren't funny when they write it down. And some people are very funny when they write it down, but they're not funny in person. And, you know, all of these, all of these <laughs> things are true, right? So you need the context of the human being yeah, and the stuff that you don't even know you're picking up, like the, the heuristics and the little social cues and the timing things and the, all of that stuff. The context of the human being, I think, is really... That's a very good way of putting it. It's like you, you need to know like a little bit of context around that person. Like mm. it frames every other interaction you have with them. But the reason I think it's interesting is like I say that about the in-person interactions I've had as a new remote employee, which sometimes doesn't happen for months or sometimes it happens immediately and then doesn't happen again because the pandemic happens. But it's interesting because you get that at in-person conferences and we've kind of touched on the virtual conferences and how you don't really get that. But what's interesting is like communities that don't have any in-person anything, like I'm thinking of like online communities, because there are Mm. people I have met or have interacted with online through Twitter, I guess occasionally through GitHub, mostly Twitter. And I feel like there is like this community, but there's no like super strong bond. And it's like, I'm not as compelled, I think, to sometimes say things or to engage with everyone because I'm just like, I don't know who you are as a person versus someone I've met in person or even just been on a video call with and seen their face and like how they talk and like where they're sitting and what they sound like. That just is so much more grounding. 
And it's interesting because there are lots of online communities. Like if you think of all the discords and slacks and all these things where they're like, join this community. But like, what is community like when you have no social interaction, whether it's virtual in Zoom or in person at a conference? Is that a community? The weird thing is it goes all the way back to like the earliest days of the internet, right? Like, because the earliest days of the internet were like, everyone had their own site was the theory. And what you had instead was a bunch of PHP BB forums on various wild niche topics. Some of them are probably still out there. It's what you would have a Discord or a Slack or something for now. Reddit's. Yeah, Reddit. So yeah, Reddit has eradicated the PHP BB forum, which is a sad (laughs) loss. But yeah, those things, there are strong senses of community there. Like you'd see people posting every day. I've never felt that community from that. I get a little bit from Twitter, but I'm not a great participator in Twitter. I actually think my usage of Twitter is quite healthy because I don't follow anyone I don't know or don't know enough to have exchanged emails with them at the least, ideally have had a meal slash drink with. Yeah. That's real kind of people. my rule for my actual own. Yeah, real, real people. Actual real people. There's a few people, <laughs> I, you know, a few companies that I follow for like status updates. And there's a few weird other things mixed in of like people who I stalking for a new conference, that kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, like I'm not a great sharer on there. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of the whole shit post, all the things that feels unhealthy too. So like, I don't know how you get a community. It's more reflective of the community that I feel than it is actually the way I participate in the community. I would tend to DM lots of people on Twitter who I know and say, are you, you know, someone will post something and you'll be like, are you all right? Or yeah, please tell me who that was about or <laughs> who, are you, who are you subtweeting? <laughs> Tell us, we want to know. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's interesting. I kind of treat, and not that all online communities are Twitter, but my relationship with Twitter is like very much right only. And then occasionally I'll read it. But like, there are some people who will like respond to certain types of things I tweet. Like I'm thinking about like whenever I talk about food or recipes, there's mm. like certain people who will be like, oh yeah, I tried that. And I'm like, all right. And then I see that same person again and I'm like, you're a food person. It's like very specific niche things where I'm like, oh, I've seen that person and they love when I talk about soup, uh, you know, like <laughs> this is my soup friend. <laughs> but like, that's not everyone. That's like a few people. And I hesitate to even call it a community because I don't really know them that well. But like the moment I meet them in person in a conference or like at some event, I'm like, Oh, okay. Face to the name, you know, and there's people I've interacted with a lot. And it was only when I met them in person that I really felt like, okay, I can like say we're kind of friends or acquaintances. But until then, I'm just like, I don't know, Avatar who likes soup. Yeah, I'm not sure I could, if I hadn't spoken to you before, I'm not sure I could like your soup. Yeah. That's not how I would use Twitter. Like, I don't want to be a soup avatar. I want to be someone who you know and have met who really appreciates the soup that you are now making rather mm. than the soup thing being, the f- I don't know if this makes any sense. I do. I get what you're saying. But like, um, you know, it's, it's that kind of like, I want the relationship before I have the interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's hard to have, I think when you reach a certain number of people following you too, it's like less of a community and more like you're on a stage. That's the feeling I get. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm friends with all of you. I'm like, I say some stuff. Sometimes you agree. Sometimes 
a lot of you hate it. And I treat it as a write-only platform, so I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Totally you, right? But it, I don't know if it's a community. I treat it mostly as broadcast and checking in with people who use it actively. So, yeah, I don't know. It's Yeah, I wouldn't say it's sort of part of how I think about the community that I'm in broader than my workplace or my family or my immediate friends who have no idea what I do for a living. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of a weird one. Like, I mean, I think I have still quite a normal level of followers. Like it's not gone weird and it seems to be quite stable. Like I've got, I think about 2000-ish, something like that. That feels like a lot, but it's probably mostly Russian bots, I would imagine. (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing. I'm like, bots are not a community. There's definitely people who I think have engaged in like the comments of blog posts I've written. And then I'm like, mm. I can see those same faces and like we'll nerd out together about some sort of weird CSE thing. And that is like more of a human experience than just, I think, responses to tweets, which I kind of don't read anyways. Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's that kind of, it is a kind of water cooler community thing. I'm also not performing on it. Mm-hmm. Like I'll post the things that I write, like I actually prefer to write. I'm like, I'm not going to comment on the UK news or the US news. Anyone who's following me, even just from my tone, can probably tell where I stand on certain things. The world doesn't need another person having an opinion about whether Boris Johnson's a good prime minister or not, do they? I mean, you know, (laughs) there are enough opinions on that around, and I do not professionally have an opinion on that. So why does the world need to know? I feel like that could be such a good tagline for Twitter. Twitter, there are enough opinions. TM. Twitter, wind your neck in, stranger. It seems to make people angry. Yeah, which also, again, doesn't really feel like community. No, that's that's one of the things I sort of go there and it's like, and I'll see friends who like appear to be angry. I'm like, are you actually angry? Or are you fine smiling and you're just saying things? Yeah. Are you just saying things? Are you bored? Like it's difficult. To, that's the other thing about like all social media, right? Like Twitter's weirdly, I find, think it's less performative. Certainly the people I follow anyway, like it's less performative than say a Facebook or an Instagram where there's a visual, my life's amazing component. Twitter's where the depressed people go to, to interact with each other. <laughs> the depressed and angry go onto Twitter. Yeah. Like it's less I could say it's less fake, but maybe that's just the way that I use it and the people that I follow. Like maybe I'm sure there are lots of people performing quite hard on it. Oh, there are. And I, I saw something recently where someone had said, I think it was a tweet that was like, have we all realized yet that Twitter is basically like a massive slack for everybody in tech? And I think that's like an interesting thing too for communities because a lot of people keep their Twitter or are are on Twitter for like networking and jobs and learning about things and things that are happening in the community. And I don't know if other industries have such a stronghold in terms of like community making and maintaining on Twitter. Like why do so many people in tech exist on Twitter and use it for finding jobs and like. Because we were there first. Is that really? So do you think yeah, that's really I think it? early, early, it's early adopters. The other massive community on Twitter is political. You think about the news, how often right. they do that awful, like, faux vox pop thing of, you, see, you used to see it quite a lot in news articles. You don't see it so much anymore. It's like, Bob from Kentish Town said this about 
something something. I was like, that's not an article on a news website. What are you doing? That kind of weird Vox Poppy thing. But yeah, I, the definitely political Twitter is definitely a thing. My, I have a neighbor who's a columnist on The Guardian and he has to turn it off when he goes on holiday because it's too, it's too all-consuming. Because a lot of politics happens on Twitter. Yeah. So in the UK, I don't know if that's true in the US. But yeah, I mean, it's weird to sort of talk about community in a time where we're sort of just emerging back into probably in-person stuff, right? Like what we've had is a weird facsimile of it for the last 18 months to two years. It occurred to me that I went and spoke at Paris Ruby. Recently? No, February 2020. So it was like oh. literally the last conference I could possibly have gone to. Yes. I went and literally the week after I came back, like my ticket sales dried up for Brighton Ruby and I called the RubyConf folks and said, what are you doing? I'm thinking this isn't going to happen. Yeah. This is weird. <laughs> Yours is before mine. What are you doing? <laughs> I went to RubyConf Australia, February 2020 as well, oh, which I was, I was like, wow. To that. I went on the longest possible plane ride before mm. I couldn't be on planes anymore, which is good. I got it out of my system. I got my talk selected for that one. That would have been so good to go to. But instead, my other half went to Borneo and lived on a boat for a week. So that was good for her. <laughs> Best husband ever. <laughs> well, it probably would have been hard for her to do that later, too, for two years. That's, that is true. <laughs> she was very glad that she did that. Yeah. So, I mean, I very much enjoy, as someone who's run a conference for six in-person editions, one of the best things was seeing the same faces every year, even if I couldn't remember anybody's name. Mm-hmm. Like that was really great of having that because it helped me build some sort of community. Like people would go to that as, oh yeah, that's the time that we catch up with those people from our previous jobs or whatever. Or, and it was a good way to meet folks like yourself, for example, like gave me an excuse to buy people a flight to fly over to see me because a whole room full of people were paying for it because... It's sort of weird to buy people you don't know a flight otherwise. <laughs> but it helped like build a wider community for me personally, in yeah. terms of like, there are folks I have met through organizing the conference that I would never have met otherwise. Yeah. And I bet people who aren't in your near vicinity and have no reason to cross paths with you. Yeah. I feel that way when I go to in-person conferences too, where I'm like, you work on the other side of the country or the world. You do this interesting thing. And like, we never see each other except we're at this conference and we're in different time zones. We're probably not talking, but then when we go to the conference, it's like, oh yeah, this familiar face. And like, we only really talk there, which yeah, I feel like we've talked conference about Conference friends too. is a, yeah, conference friends. Nadia is my conference buddy. We'll often end up at the same thing and hang out. And it's like, weirdly, although she's literally in London and I could call her for lunch. And actually I probably should. <laughs> Duh. But yeah, that's it's a context thing, right? Like you've got friends that, you know, it's like shared experiences. That's what it is. Commonalities and geographic commonality as well. Like, so I, there's an interesting thing of like, so I played dad football on a Monday night and there are blokes there who I only ever see at 9 PM on a Sunday night on an AstroTurf and then we proceed <laughs> to kick each other and then we all have a lovely time and then we all go home and it's just like, oh yeah, that's kind of like, you can do that for years. And that's the context in which, you know, you you see them every week for five years and it's a sense of community in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, There's kind of those loose ties, I suppose, is what feels like a community, right? It's something friendly and common that isn't familial or. It's almost like chosen. You choose to share these experiences, whether that's 
football, whether that's a thing, you know, computer science that you're learning together and like banging your heads against the wall, whether it's like, right. It's kind of a book club kind of vibe. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like to some extent, a lot of us lost that in the pandemic and we had to kind of reformulate what that is. And like, I had my own little community of people in the same city as me where we would hang out in the freezing cold and be like, well, this is nice, isn't it? It's the only safe way to see each other. And like, there's a weird community in that, but it's like much smaller than my tech community folks or my work folks or, you know, and any wider shared interest. And it was kind of like a constraint, but it makes me like rethink a little bit what community can be and like where the limits of that are and whether it works in all contexts. Because I know people try to take the in-person context and make it, you know, work virtually. And maybe to some extent it does, but maybe there are limits that you kind of have to accept. You can't just fully recreate it. You can't recreate being in the hall at a conference fully. It's not really the same. And some people really prefer it, right? Like maybe you and I are weird. I mean, maybe I'm weird. I can't call you weird. That's that's rude. <laughs> but like, there are people who love an online conference. And yeah, there are great things about it, like access and access in terms of time. And Yeah, exactly right. You, you know, it's cheaper and all these good things, but they don't replace the one thing that I sort of go to those things for, which is the random hallway, the hallway track, as people call it, right? Like it's the, mm-hmm. you're choosing to meet up with people who do what you do. And the rest of the world does not understand what you do. And the more specific and niche your conference is, more you feel weirdly at home, even though you don't really know these people. Even the bigger Ruby conferences, like there's a different vibe from a Brighton Ruby or a city-based Ruby conference in the US as compared to the big Ruby conf, the big Rails conf. Yeah. But there's some of that still in it. Like it's pretty relatable, even though like Rails conf was like 1,800 people. Oh God, is Ruby that is really like, how big it is? I think the last couple of years it got big. RailsConf is massive because it's often yeah. people use their training budget to, you know, the whole team will use their training budget to go. Yeah. I never think about how big it is. I just know that after, I think, 500, I'm just like, okay, I'm just a little dot. <laughs> then I spoke at the RubyConf thing and I had the big room first thing in, on one of the days. It's just like, that looks, that, that was only like, 800, 900. Only? Wow, that's a lot. But yeah, I mean, it felt like a lot. Yeah. I was buzzing after that one. That was good. That's one of the other, yeah, the hacks for going to conferences is speaking, right? Because then people come up and talk to you about your talk, which hopefully you're still interested in after having done it. Yeah, five minutes afterwards. Hopefully you still care. Yeah, exactly. You still care and you're still awake and you're not crashing. That's the weird thing about the Brighton Ruby thing for me is that I'm often racing about. I have to a certain extent done all the work in the lead up and then it's just checking in and nudging and but I never get to stop for any length of time until like the bar afterwards for two hours. Yeah. And then some food and then karaoke, which is a ritual I intend to start again. There's a community there too. Karaoke. Yeah, yeah true. Indeed. Yeah. Those who appreciate the majesty of the Backstreet Boys. And people who I don't want to know, basically. So that's, that's the two groups. <laughs> Hopefully we get some sense of community back. I feel like it's been very jarring to not have it. Although yeah. the events I've gone back to, I'm just like, oh, this is so weird. It ha- has been really nice to see people in person. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it does look as though everything is coming back in person. And it's just like, it's the stuff that was just tenuously hanging on. Like it's the, oh yeah, my football thing's another example. Like somebody else had to pick it up and start it again. Like the person who was organising it just had stopped and it was a good chance to stop. And it's been quite difficult getting back on the horse for organising Brighton Ruby as well. Like you do get into a cycle, like I'd done six and then I panicked and did the online seventh one and then I had two years off. And I'm like, oh, Oh, this is actually now it's a decision to do this rather than just rolling on. Yeah. And it's harder. And yes, even more so for like the local meetups and you have to be more intentional about it. Yeah. And we see it, you see it in the office as well, like that community thing. Like we all have to go, okay, yeah, we've got out of the habit of going in. Yeah. Because there's lots of good things for being at home. It's like you can, you know, you can pick whenever your shopping's going to arrive. And if your boiler's broken, you are already default at home. Everyone finally set up an office at home that was decent. Yeah. It's like, and they're like, why am I going to go back? Wow. That involves walking or getting on a bus or something. I've met some tiny slice of my coworkers, not, not even my full team. I met them at RubyConf a couple months, like two months after starting, which was mm. really nice. But I hope that I get to meet more folks soon because it's just, again, like every new person that I meet, it's also a much larger company, but like every new person that I meet, I'm like, I kind of know you, but like a Zoom call, how many Zoom calls equal a dinner? You know? Oh, like, like <laughs> about 4,000, I think. <laughs> so I don't know like when I'll really feel like, yeah, okay, now we know each other, really know each other. And like, I think our working relationship will be different when that happens. So hopefully yeah. that can happen soon. The power of lunch really shouldn't be underestimated. Power yeah. of lunch. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> In, you know, building community. Yes. I mean, and, even, and that's true at conferences, right? Like also the people the you make friends, the power of lunch, the power of dinner, right? Like you sit down at the big lunch tables and conferences that do it, or you grab a group of five people and go off and find some food in whatever city you happen to be in, right? That's the real joy of the thing. Yeah. People who understand what you do for a living is like, particularly with what we do, it's super weird to normal people. I've got friends who are teachers and I kind of understand what they do because I was taught once upon a time. <laughs> and whilst, you know, it took me until I was about nine before I worked out that teachers used the bathroom like everybody else. Like I understand what an adult teacher teaching kids might do. Whereas trying to explain what I do to normal folks to like, see, can you fix my printer? <laughs> There's a, a guy who I met and we, we were chatting and he was like, oh yeah, no, I I asked him what he did for a living and uh, he said, oh, I do this. And, uh, and he said, oh, I work for a company called Unity. And I said, oh, I know Unity, the 3D engineer. He's like, oh, thank God. I don't have to explain what I do. <laughs> it's just nice. like, just, yeah, there was enough overlap that he was like, oh, cool. You get what I do. Great. Yeah. Excellent. We can talk at another level. We've skipped a whole us trying to explain our awkward jobs to each other. Yeah. But it was like the same thing too with coworkers where you can just be like, look, let's talk about this part of the code base and how irritating it is. Because it's something, something technical that let's commiserate. Yeah. Like it's yeah, just, exactly. you already have all this context loaded in your head, which is really nice. It is. It's, yeah, community is like conversations with context, right? Mm-hmm. That's a good way of thinking about it. Like, And people with context. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that comes built in. And actually, you know, the, the better communities are built in. Well, I mean, context built over time, right? That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Getting to really know somebody or a group of people, just like the Brighton mm. Ruby repeats or the people at conferences for your coworkers or yeah. people with shared experiences. That'd be nice again, wouldn't it? Yeah. 
community. It's good. Let's bring it back. <laughs> Andy and Bridie advocate for people meeting other people, ideally in the flesh, because Zoom windows are not as good. Over lunch. Also doing it. Over lunch. Yeah, particularly over lunch. But they do that whilst on a Zoom call with each other. I have, that's one thing I haven't tried. I haven't tried getting on a Zoom call and being like, let's eat together and We've have done lunch. That. Really? Does we it work? Yeah. Is it weird? It's all right, actually. I mean, I play, I've played some video games with my coworkers as well, right? So that's another thing where you're doing a thing together. Yeah. But you're in each other's ears. Like you don't actually see each other's faces when you're doing that. We've played some games together too. I love playing some virtual GeoGuessr. That is so fun. I will really get to know someone with that. For, I'll also know how good you are at geography. Which is, that's your bar, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've done lunches where, you know, we'll, we'll all get Deliveroo to our houses and then put a video call and just have a chat and deliberately not talk about work. So we did that a few times in the depths of uh, 2020. But the UK's been. You know, it's ebbed and flowed, but we've been able to go and eat outside for most of the last year. So yeah. either outside or inside, depending on depending on the month. Yeah. So we've been trying to get back to that. But yeah, I do think it's permanently changed how some members of the team form part of that work community. Yeah. Because it's got so easy to stay at home. Same for me. There was this big schism in our routines both our sort of weekly routines and that sort of more annual cadence of, yeah, oh yeah, in March I go to RubyConf. Like that's all broken up. It's actually quite unusual for, I suppose if you're in a job, right, where you have always had some travel, but it's never been part of your job. Like there are some people whose jobs are all about travel yeah. and those people snapped straight back into it. I'm, I'm talking white collar jobs here, not proper jobs. And there are those of us who have jobs where travel's a part of it and was a part of it. But that travel is still kind of optional. Yeah. And it used to be a bit of a perk slash treat. Now. And now it's just so like, ah, oh, now it's not. It's just like, oh, do you what, have to do that? Like that makes <laughs> my life much harder. And you can do your job in a tiny window, can't you? So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's like renegotiating that community that you build for yourself outside of your immediate team, yeah. right? Like that's something I'm thinking about. You have to pick sometimes which community you actually care about more because it's like yeah. do i want to travel to this x location to hang out with this y group of people or am i going to do this instead which is closer or easier or i don't know is like my the people i see more often my work colleagues versus a conference or something but you also get that with certainly people i've spoken to who've done a lot of conference speaking like you know i've done like a medium amount i think you've done probably like a medium amount right like you don't feel like you've done loads and loads and loads but folks who do a lot or it's part of their job is like, you know, DevRel people. Yeah. That quickly pales. So I've had conversations with people who's like, oh, man, I've done this talk like five times. I can't do this yeah. talk again. And that was happening before the pandemic. Like this is this yeah. is like, yeah, I've kind of you burn yourself out on that on those light relationships. Mm-hmm. Like those weak bonds, like it doesn't sustain you. Yeah. So it's kind of like the stronger soul. communities are the ones that will survive. And hold yeah. together. Or you need like some kind of person gluing it together, like your football dads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> those football dads are very, very loosely held together. That's the trouble with playing football in your 40s is that like the whole of us <laughs> as a group of individuals are not held together as well as we used to be. 
if you don't bounce back quite as quickly as you did when you were 22, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but yeah, like I think it, yeah, it comes down to it's knowing that you're doing things intentionally because I think it's going to have to be intentional for all of us for the next 18 months. We rediscover what that in-person stuff is and how yeah. often we want to do it yeah. and recognizing that maybe we do need it, I think. Mm-hmm. 